0: I think I struggled with narcolepsy when I was in school, and I probably still do a little bit. Um, I had a tendency when I was in school, I would sleep through my classes. Thankfully, God gave me uh, the ability just to know what I needed to, to study for and to remember things. But when I was in college, I was notorious for sleeping through class. In fact, people were pretty upset with me because I I remember in in college, went to a Christian university. We had an Old Testament, New Testament. I already had had that since I went to a Christian school. But I think I slept through my whole Old Testament uh, class. But I got an A, and that's all that matters, right? But it started to get really embarrassing. And then one day, I just remember, it was just so embarrassing. So I'm sound asleep, And all of a sudden, I just went and I was reaching for the basketball. I was trying to steal it, which, again, it was a dream because I never played defense. But anyways, I'm I'm totally out of it. And I just went, boom, like this, reaching for the ball. And I threw my books and everything all over. It happened to me all the time. In fact, my English professor, I'll still never forget, it was after class one time, she came up to me and... And again, I was getting good grades, but she came up to me. She's like, Mark, do you have a problem? I was like, what? She goes, I notice you're always sleeping in class. I said, yeah, it's right after lunch. Of course I'm going to be sleeping in class. But I would have this problem with sleeping. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I had a night shift one time. Anybody ever have a night shift? (laughs) Yes. I hated it. Now, my night shift occurred, my first night shift occurred when I was a drug and alcohol counselor. And so let me tell you something, working in the drug and alcohol field, there's a lot of crazies. But I would always be so tired, I'd be tired at work and I'd be tired when I came home from work. And, but the thing about working in the drug and alcohol field, and so it was at a hospital, but it was really quite scary, and especially at night. Because basically, my, my job was to, to sort of babysit, in a way, the people in the 28 day facility. And it could get pretty scary. And then there would be people walk in off the street, and you'd have to be taking care of them. And a lot of times, I was tired. And I remember one time, it was like two o'clock in the morning. And I get this call, and uh, this guy says, You know, he, he was a guy who had been through the place, and he had relapse, which relapse is pretty. Pretty uh, popular, it happens quite often, people relapse. And he he was drunk at the time, and he was mad. He was mad with the facility. And I answer the phone, and I'm like, hi, and I I forget his name. And we were talking, and he's like, I'm going to bring a shotgun up there and shoot you. I'm like, suddenly, night shift, my eyes were wide awake. I had another situation when I was working the night shift, and I was actually just coming on. And so it was about probably four or five o'clock, and I was just coming on, and they were changing shifts, and we had a pool table in this 28-day facility, and I go in to this facility, or or in this room, and and somebody says, hey, can you go down there and watch so-and-so? And And I'm like, okay, I'll go down and watch so-and-so. And And then I just like, I'm stupid, I don't even know what was going on, And, and this guy had a lot of issues more than alcohol and cocaine abuse and all these things. He, I think he was, he was struggling mentally as well. So I said, hey, you want to play some pool? And we were playing pool, and suddenly I noticed he hit my ball in. And I was like a little tick, but he said something right after he hit my ball in. He goes, I didn't kill that guy. And I'm like, what? He's like, I didn't kill that guy. I'm in here because they think I killed that guy, and I didn't kill that guy. Do you think I killed that guy? And I'm saying to myself, I just gave you a pool stick. What, what, what am I doing in here? I was scared to death. But one of the things I noticed when I would leave the night shift and I was all tired and I'm trying to stay awake. I had, I lived in Indiana at the time and there was I-69. I don't know if you guys know it, but it was about 30 minutes from my house. And again, I, I think I, I struggled sometimes with my sleep and, and I would be fall starting to fall asleep when I was driving. It was just torture You know, and so you're you're tired already and you're trying to stay awake, trying to babysit people and not knowing what's going to happen if you're going to get shot or killed or hit over the head with a pool stick. Anyways, I was tired and I was going home often. And I don't know if you've ever in that stage, what do you do? I mean, I try all the tricks. Turn on the stereo really loud, still going, you know? I try to open up my eyes, you know, and try to keep them open and awake. Eventually, you know, you get to the point, even in the winter, you roll down the windows. Has anybody ever done this before or just me? I'm trying to stay awake. You know, probably the logical thing is to pull over and go to sleep somewhere. But, you know, I'm trying to stay, you know, you're putting your head out the window, you know, trying to stay awake. And one of the things I've come to realize with all those struggles with sleeping and trying to stay awake and to do whatever it takes, that the only thing sometimes that can wake me up is something dressed something chaotic, something that is going to challenge me and spark me and get me awake. Otherwise, I'm just going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to start falling asleep. And what I've noticed, especially now, since I don't have some of that that chaos, I notice when I come home and I'm sitting in a comfortable chair, guess what? Eventually, I'm going to sleep, I'm going to sleep, I'm going to sleep in that comfortable chair. And what I want us to be able to see this morning is some of us are spiritually asleep. We're in a spiritual slumber. And we're going to see very clearly today that in the book of Ephesians, it says that we need to wake up. It says, in fact, we need to awake and we need to rise up, O sleeper. Arise from the dead and let Christ shine upon you. We need to wake up. Now I don't want to make an assumption that you are spiritually asleep, but I know from myself and my own walk with the Lord, sometimes it's too easy to fall asleep spiritually. And when I fall asleep spiritually, there needs to be something chaotic, something messy, something strange and different, something uncomfortable to wake me up. So this morning, guess what? I'm going to give an uncomfortable message because I'm going to challenge, not just you, but I'm going to challenge myself to understand that God has called us to be everyday missionaries. And every one of us has a mission field. In fact, we have multiple mission fields and we're going to change the way we look at church. Church isn't about the inside of the walls only. Church is just not about programs and, and things we're trying to do to get people involved, to keep people busy. The church is about God gifting individuals, Christians, disciples with different gifts and releasing them into the mission field. Now, if I told you you were a missionary, somebody would say, no, Mark, I'm not a missionary. You know, when, I, when I've spoken on Ephesians in the past, and I didn't do it when we started this series, but I usually pull people, I'm like, are you a sinner or are you a saint? And almost all the hands always go up and people check, oh yeah, I'm a sinner. Like, we're proud of it, yeah. But then I say, are you a saint? And it's just like, what? A saint? I'm not a saint. Yes, you are. The Bible describes you as a saint. And I'm sure if I said to you, just, uh, we were in my office talking. Uh, so, so when did you become a missionary? You'd be looking at me like, what? I'm not a missionary. And Yes, you are a missionary. You see, you're a missionary just like Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, you are one who is in Christ. And one who is in Christ understands that Christ was sent by God on a mission. And the radical wake-up call that we all need as individuals, is God has sent you and me, and we are on a mission as well. You see, being a missionary means you gotta go to a place where you don't fit. You know, this is, this is the seventh church I've been at um, full time. I've been at a lot of other churches But often when you go into a new setting and a new environment, you don't fit. And some of you say, I I don't even, the the, the term missionary, that doesn't fit me. Viewing, Viewing life from the scope of being in a mission field. And what we need to see today is our home is a mission field. Where we go to school, that's a mission field. The gym is a mission field, where we work is a mission field, our neighborhood is a mission field, where we routinely eat out is a mission field, where we get our car fixed, that's a mission field, where, where we uh, maybe go and get our hair cut, or if we cut hair, and you know, that, that's a mission field. And we need to start seeing things from the eyes of what God has done for us and transitioned us to understand that we're in a mission field. And if you're saying, Mark, that doesn't fit, I'm here to say, I don't fit. You know, when I, when I came here, you know, a lot of people say, oh, here comes a nut from California. You know, I'm not from California. I'm from Indiana. Deep down, I'm a Hoosier boy. But being a Hoosier boy, I don't, I don't fit because, I've, again, I've gone into different different settings. And when I came here, I don't fit. My not, last name's not Hartzler or Powers or Schrock or Yoder. I, I don't fit around here. Maybe Cook is another good name. I, I Gilkison, I, I don't fit. I don't carry that title on my last name. I, I, I don't hunt. I don't fish. You know, I don't have any tattoos and, and piercings on any of my body. I, you know, I don't chew tobacco. I, I don't fit. I, I've never shot anything except when I was a kid, I shot a beer can up. You know, some of you love to shoot animals up. You know, I, I, I don't do those sort of things, I don't fit. And in a lot of ways, it's hard for people sometimes to understand when you're put into a new setting, it is hard when you don't fit. Because I I didn't come here to relive the past. But why? Because that doesn't fit. I'm not in the past. I'm thinking about the future. I I, I didn't come here uh, to really change you, even though some people think I came here to change you. I didn't come here to do that. I don't fit. People people can't change people from the outside. It requires internal change. Some people think I came here to grow the church. I didn't come here to grow the church. That's not. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, the way we grow is when the body of Christ is being the body of Christ. And so last week I was getting so excited and I had water over here and I baptized my Bible and everything trying to help us to understand that we've gone from going from the ministry of Christ and him pouring out spiritual gifts and giving you a spiritual calling and he pours that into the body of Christ and when the body of Christ is doing what the body of Christ needs to be doing we have the fullness of Christ and when we have the fullness of Christ Guess what? The process repeats itself. But later in Ephesians, it says something totally radical. It says that we will experience the fullness of Christ and then we need to speak the truth to to each other in love. And each one of us has a part to play and when each one of us does what God has called us to do according to our spiritual gifts, guess what? That's when the body of Christ grows. And as a missionary, that is my message. And so that's why I I talk a lot. We talked about it on on the vision night. We want to encourage people to follow Jesus. That's what I'm I'm here to do. I'm here to encourage you to follow Jesus. But guess what? That is your calling as well, to encourage people to follow Jesus. We we, we talked at vision night that we want to be about building hope. In Harrisonville, one family at a time. Building hope in Harrisonville, one family at a time. But guess what? It's not about me, and it's not about you collectively. It's about us as individual Christ followers going out and saturating our world and filling it with the fullness of Christ. But what we need to do is we need to have a radical paradigm shift. And instead of thinking about church inside the four walls or multiple walls that we have here and thinking about church from a program perspective, we need to shift it from programs to more mission fields. To think of our home, our workplace, our school, our soccer fields, our football fields, our gymnasiums. Uh, the places we work out, the neighborhoods we live in, the friends we have over to our house, we need to view that as a mission field, and we need to release the body of Christ to fill it. But it requires us, I believe, to ask a couple of questions. And I want to explore a couple of those questions on how you can be an everyday missionary and start viewing your world as a mission field. So if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. And if, if you're new here today, and this is the first time you're entering into this series, and uh, glad to have a new worship team here leading us for a few weeks. But if you're new here, we've been doing this series, Made for More. We're created to be more, to do more, and go more. We're in this section where we're going to look at going more. And we're viewing the book of Ephesians as sort of our constitution. It's our marching orders. And and my desire is for us to be reading through the book of Ephesians and studying it and applying it. I would encourage you, if if you're in a next step group or not in a next step group, or your next step group isn't doing the made for more uh, next steps, get those next steps and be studying the book of Ephesians. Because again, this is the new paradigm shift. So notice in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty words. There's a lot that is happening today in in teaching and in the church. It's a bunch of empty words. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And then verse 7 says, therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are a light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And then let your eyes jump down to verse 15. You see the verse before that says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15 says, look carefully then. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And then this is translated in so many different ways. I love the NIV. It says, make the most of every opportunity. I think my translation says, redeeming the time or making the best use of your time. Because the days are evil. You see, we live in a world that is radically busy and radically distracted. And so what we're asking as everyday missionaries, how do you saturate? How do you penetrate? How do you get into the lives of busy people? And here's what I've discovered. Busy people are busy doing something. (laughs) They're either busy at work, they're busy at home, they're busy at school, they're busy playing. And what God has gifted you to do is to love on them. And so as an everyday missionary, here's the question we all need to be asking to get the ball rolling. Who am I imitating? Who am I imitating? Notice Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. Literally, you need to mimic God. I I was going to have people come up here this morning and see if people could do mime. This is really what it's talking about. You need to mime. You need to do what God does. Bob Goff wrote a book called Love Does, and maybe some of you have read it. It's a great book, and if you've ever heard Bob Goff speak, he's just so full of energy and humor and laughter, but he's basically saying love does. And what he wants to do is not be known as a Christian who is against something and fighting something and say, shaking his finger. He wants to be known as a Christian and he travels around the world and tries to encourage people to love people, to imitate God, to show grace. Who are you imitating? You see, it's hard to experience more opportunities when When our hearts are filled with stuff. I never noticed this before, but uh, if you let your eyes jump over to Ephesians 4, verse 26, it's a verse you probably have heard before. Paul, it almost looks like he's commanding, he's like, be angry, but don't sin. He says, be angry, so we can be emotional. He says, be angry and do not sin, but he says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. You see, we're shifting from more programs to more opportunities. And it's sort of like what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1. He says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He didn't say, Go out and do witnessing. He says, where you go, you are my witness. And you need to live out the Christian lifestyle. And we have opportunities to witness. We have opportunities. But The way I read Paul, he's saying, but if there's anger, and then he goes on and he says, if there's greed and slander and all this this stuff that doesn't imitate God, guess what? It gives an opportunity, not for God to show up, but it gives an opportunity for Satan to show up. It's very interesting, the word for Satan here, diabolus, really means slander, deceiver. It means to, 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 to be your adversary. And, and some of us continue to to buy the lies, that we're justified in our anger, we're justified in that, but that just gives an opportunity. And so Paul, by the way, if you read Ephesians 4 and 5, he goes between positive illustration, negative illustration, positive illustration, negative illustration. The first section is walk in unity. I'm going to tell you how to do it with positive and negative. Next section is walk in holiness. I'm going to tell you how to do it, positively and negatively. And then now we're in the section of imitating God. That's the walk in love. And he's going to give us positive and negative. He says, be imitators of God as what? Dearly beloved children. Uh, And whenever I hear that in scripture, first I think King James. But uh, the second thing I think of, I, I think of when somebody calls me sir or something. You know, like. And looking for my dad or whatever, but what does it mean, beloved children? It, it, it's interesting. The heart of that word, beloved children, actually is children who are content, children who are at peace. Why? Because they know in their being, be more, that their identity is in Christ. And Christ is pouring out his grace. He's pouring out his love. He's pouring in more spiritual blessings. And so he says, as dearly beloved children, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to live a lifestyle wherever you go that is filled with love. So as you penetrate again and you go into your community and you minister to people and when you're in your homes and in your workplaces you need to be demonstrating and imitating love of God you may say Ah, the people in my home don't deserve it the people at work don't deserve it people in my neighborhood and especially the people on my sports team they don't pass me the ball they don't deserve it But you know what Christ is saying to us? Paul is saying we need to imitate God. We need to to take the love of God into our communities. And it's interesting. It says that that Christ's love that he showed for us by dying on the cross and loving us unconditionally is like a fragrance. It's like an aroma. I don't know if this is true or not. Somebody can help me with this later. But I hear that sometimes in the Middle East, Some people take two showers or baths. They take one shower where they bathe themselves and clean themselves. The other shower they take is after they had already showered, and they shower themselves with cologne. And again, I don't know if that's true, but I I was reading about it, and I was like, wow, it's pretty wild. I was like, that's maybe why sometimes I smell certain things with some People. maybe that's why I smell I don't know but I don't put cologne on and do all that sort of stuff but here's what scripture says it says when we are living out Paul says this later in second Corinthians when we're living out the Christian lifestyle and we're showing love to others we are a pleasing aroma especially among those who look at us and say why are you following Christ why are you saying you're a Christian why are you studying the Bible why are you living that way when you are following Christ and loving like Christ, you're a pleasing aroma. It's bit very interesting that Paul wrote this here, um, that this idea of imitating God. Again, we need to all ask ourselves, who are you imitating? Are you imitating more of Satan or are you imitating more of God? But it was interesting. You know, they did a lot of Greek philosophy back then. And you had Plato, and, but there was this one guy, Phileo, And um, Phil, for short, Philadelphia means lover and, you know, loved by God and beloved. And so Phileo, he he actually would say that, that, and again, he didn't have a full grasp of Christianity, but he says, the reason we're here on earth is because we are on a journey to heaven. And he says, we are walking or we are ascending into heaven. And Phileo would say the thing that we need to do on our journey to heaven is we need to imitate God. And we need to imitate God who is holy. And so he would say on our journey, all we need to be trying to do is continue to mimic and mirror the holiness of God. Pretty interesting concept. And so what Paul says is we need to imitate God. There's the positive and then there's the negative. He says, but sexual immorality and impurity and filthy talk that shouldn't be among you because that doesn't fit with who God has created you to be, a saint. He says that doesn't fit. So he says, get rid of all of that. It's deceptive. It's deceiving. But most of all, it doesn't allow us to enter in to our homes and to our workplaces. It doesn't allow us to enter into our mission field. And the best way to be an everyday missionary is to live counter to what the culture says is normal and healthy. And to show a different model. Here's a second way that we need to ask a question about how to be an everyday missionary In 6, he says, again, let no one deceive you with empty words. And 7 says, don't partake with them. Don't don't be their partners. Don't be their partners in crime. And then it says in verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Uh, Some of you might know Mackenzie, my daughter, she's trying to do photography. And uh, she's not trying to do photography. She is doing photography. But one of the things, I guess I'm learning about photography And so she needed to have this million dollar flash bulb, okay? And and so she was so excited, she got this flash bulb and it, it, I tell you, it's pretty good, you know? It blinded me when I took my picture, but she was like, hey, hey. And so Michelle and I did our nice pose, you know? And she's taking a picture of it, she's like, one's gonna be in darkness and one's gonna be with this flash. And man, she did the flash and you can tell, it's like night and day difference, it's like darkness and light the clarity on which you can see is so much different when there is light. You see, living in darkness is so scary. It's so frightening. It's so overwhelming. We have a new puppy at our home. And I'll sell it to the highest bidder. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We have a new puppy. And as you know, puppies relieve themselves a lot. And so... I don't know how I inherited it, but it seems like a lot of times, because everybody's scared to go out where I live. You know, they think some big deer's going to run into them, or some possum's going to come, or some raccoon, or something's going to come and get them, or bite them, or whatever. And so a lot of times I go out. And what, what I've noticed is, yes, the darkness is very scary. But I've also noticed it is pretty awesome in the darkness when the moon is full, When the stars are bright, why? Because there is a noticeable difference, and there is something that you take notice, and you can see better, and you feel more comfortable, you you seem more peaceful and relaxed. Why? Because you know there is light. And some of you are messing in darkness. And I don't even need to bring it out. You just, when I say you're messing in darkness, he's like, yeah, I'm messing in darkness. I remember my second message I gave here, I'm pretty sure it was the second message after I came. It was called Back to the School of Prayer because we were starting the school season. And I actually made reference to this. I said that you need to pray for your kids that they will, their sin will find them out, that their sin will be exposed. And some kids were like, what are you? having my mom and dad pray that prayer for. But you know what? That's the prayer for all of us. If you say you're a Christ follower, wherever you go, you should be spreading the light. Isn't that what Jesus said? You are the salt and light of the world. Go light your world. Go go shine in your world. It'll make a difference. So the two questions, who am I imitating? The second question is, am I lighting up my world? Or is the darkness causing me to fall asleep and to be in a a spiritual slumber? Here's the third question. And I've spoke on this before as well. You're an everyday missionary. If you're constantly asking yourself the question, is this the wisest thing to do? Is this the wisest thing to do with my time, with my talents, with my treasure? Is this the wisest thing to do with my lifestyle? Is this the wisest thing to do inside my marriage? Is this the wisest thing for me to do as a parent? Is this the wisest thing for me to do? So you notice in verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So he's talked about our lifestyle in three different ways, a loving lifestyle, a light lifestyle, and a wise lifestyle. Everyday missionaries understand that wherever they go, if Christ, truly does dwell in them. They are taking God with them. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit resides in us, and we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're not supposed to be partakers with evil deeds, because we are the light of the world, and we are to take it into the communities, into what I'm calling our mission fields. Ask yourself the question, is this the wisest thing to do? Because notice the connection because verse 16 says if you do that you're going to be redeeming the time. You're going to be saving your time. You're going to be making the most use of your time. You're going to be making a difference as an everyday missionary. And so he wanted to drive home the point about the days being evil. And so he says, you need to all of you as Christians, you need to understand what the Lord's will is. And what I've been trying to say throughout this series is you're made for more. To be more, do more, and go more. That's the Lord's will. And he has gifted you with certain gifts to use for his kingdom. But again, people that are spiritually asleep sometimes also are controlled by addictions. By, by, by certain habits or lifestyles. And and Paul understands that, and he says, do not get drunk with wine. And again, I don't think he's picking on wine, he's not picking on alcohol, and he's not picking on drinking. He's talking about control. He's like, who's going to control your life? And he uses alcohol as an example. He says, but don't be controlled by alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, you remember last week I was pouring in water and it was going all over the place? Don't think of that as filling. This filling that we're talking about is complete control. Who are you going to let control your life? Either yourself or the Holy Spirit. You see... The Bible talks about being baptized with the Spirit, being sealed with the Spirit, being indwelt with the Spirit. Those are all things that have happened to you past tense, signed, sealed and delivered, so to speak. All of us have the Holy Spirit. There's only one command when it comes to the Holy Spirit and that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you may think, well, it's a command, that's something I do. No, the command is in what we call the passive tense. So that means that the Holy Spirit we need to allow him to control us. And so now it's coming to where we're going to go next week. It's living a life of surrender. It's living a life of submission to to God and his spirit and saying take over. I'm not going to let other things control me and again Some of you don't even struggle with alcohol. Some of you do struggle with alcohol. But all of us struggle with what wants to control our lives. And he's saying, let the Holy Spirit control your lives. Because guess what will happen? Guess what? You'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And you'll be giving thanks for everything the god and father in the name of our lord jesus christ and then guess what we'll be submitting to one another out of reverence for christ which if you will see it creates more opportunities in the home in your marriage more opportunities in the home as parenting and more opportunities where we work and when we start seeing ourselves as everyday missionaries called to specific mission fields. We're gonna change this culture. And we're gonna change the flavor of who we are as a church. And so you don't come to church just to come and see or come and critique or come and sit. You come with the perspective that really God wants me to go and be. Go and be his representative as an everyday missionary.